0: Hey, my name's Emma. Hey, my name's Maddie. And you're listening to The Pilot's Pandemic.
1: Airfare, healthy snacks on the go. Airfare curates and delivers healthy snacks to flight crew, travelers, and aviation businesses. They source more than 50 snacks from small businesses across North America. Hundreds of pilots love these snacks because they are healthy, unique, and have a long shelf life. And they're perfect for keeping you feeling great on, in the flight deck.
0: Our listeners can get 50% off their first order of customizable snacks using our discount code PILOTSPODCAST at checkout. So go visit airfarepouch.com to check out all the snack options and learn more. Again, that's airfarepouch.com to use our code PILOTSPODCAST for 50% off your first order of truly healthy snacks. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to this week's episode of the Pilots Pandemic Podcast. You're here with your host, Emma, and our lovely co-host, Maddie.
1: Hey, guys. How's it going?
0: And this week, we are joined with our guest, Mike.
2: Hey, folks. Uh, Mike, the Executive Director from Elevated Access and the Pilot.
0: Thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. We are stoked to have you.
2: I'm really happy to be here.
1: Yeah. So, um, I kind of wanted to give a little background on how we, um, how I found you, Mike and elevated access. My husband actually is the one who sent over a link and it was a little bit ago. And I just, I didn't even look at it when he sent it, but I saw like the, um, logo that you have. So the rainbow and then the black brown, you know, like the, all the flags. And I was like, Hmm, this seems interesting. So I kind of put it in the back of my mind. And I was like, I'll probably look at that later. And then one day I was just sitting on the couch and I that your logo like popped into my head for some reason. It was weird. I was like, (laughs) I need to look at that link. My husband sent me Um, and I looked at it and I think. Avinola is a small batch gourmet granola that's made with grain and gluten-free ingredients. It's made from ancient lupini beans, which are filled with fiber and tons of plant protein. It's less than one gram of sugar and only 95 calories per serving. It's a zero guilt snack that checks all the boxes and loads of fiber to keep you feeling full. So Emma, what's your favorite part of Avinola?
0: Well, obviously, y'all already know I love the chocolate, but the coconut almond vanilla is also very, very good. Um, besides just eating it straight out of the bag, because it's that delicious. I love to make like a Greek yogurt bowl, bunch of avinola honey berries macadamia nuts maybe some pecans I don't know whatever my little heart is feeling but that is my favorite way to enjoy Avinola. and I especially love this company and this brand because a it's a small business and b it is women owned and created we absolutely love Maggie and if you haven't already go back and listen to her episode but you guys can use discount code pilots pandemic for 15% Off your order of Aviola, so code Pilots Pandemic.
1: Oh yeah, so um, Mike's logo popped in my head. I was like, "Hmm, I need to look back at that link that my husband sent me, and so I literally just pulled it up, and I was like, Wow, this is really interesting because this is kind of the topic of conversation right now: Roe v. Wade being overturned, Um, and then Elevated Access. Being all about um, helping women find um, healthcare access if they can access it in their state, and then also gender affirming care. So I thought that was really interesting. And so I sent Mike over a little text and was like, "Hey, can I can I get you on the podcast? Can I talk to you real quick?" And we had such a great conversation. Um, but one of the first questions that we always ask our guests is how you got into aviation, like. What was your story kind of before you started and formed Elevated Access?
2: Yeah, sure. So um, I grew up uh, with a father who was a pilot uh, recreationally. He had gone to college to become uh, an airline pilot, which happened to be about the same time that the Vietnam War was starting to wind down. And so he wasn't able to find work as an as a airline pilot or a commercial pilot. And so he always just kind of flew recreationally. And uh, so, like, I had my first airplane ride when I was like three in a in a little Cherokee 140, and flew in an air coupe that he had for a little bit. And and then, as you can imagine, getting to be an older child and having a sister join the household, that uh, money was not. Always a thing to be able to fly as a hobby. And so really it wasn't until after I got out of college, and look at that, he's got more money again to uh, fly now that he's not having to worry about tuition. And he started flying more often. And so we started going to, to more fly ins, pancake breakfasts, all that kind of stuff. But it wasn't until I was almost 30 that I decided to actually get my own license. I had kind of just been putting it off because of the expense of it. Um, just like before, I had my own family that I was. Um, taken care of and everything and so finally got my pilot's license and uh as i started you know flying for myself like you know what this is fun maybe this would be a bigger thing in the future so i eventually went on got my instrument rating uh, did my commercial rating this past winter and i'm currently working on my cfi uh, it's just because I love flying. I love taking people for flights that have never been flying before, talking to them about how the airplane works, all that kind of stuff. And so I thought it'd be a great way to you know take this passion for aviation and, and carry it forward uh, from just the aviation side of things. And so really that's, you know, so at this point I've got just about 500 hours, uh, flying mostly various Piper aircraft. I think I actually have that. The one outlier is about three hours in a, in a Cessna 182 RG when I did my high performance and complex endorsements.
0: That's awesome. I don't, I don't feel like we speak to very many people who like have a goal to be a CFI or a passion for like teaching other people and bestowing that, like, first flight, um, that love on people. I know it's a very magical moment. I'll never forget my first discovery flight.
2: Yeah, I think, you know, really it jumps out. I do fly a a lot of young eagles um, through our EA chapter. And the best ones for the kids are the worst ones for me as a pilot, you know, is that it's smooth enough that pretty much once we're at the cruise altitude we're doing for the flights that day, the kids fly it the whole time. And I'm explaining to them how to you know maintain straight and level, how to do turns, and and it's really awesome for them. They get that experience. Uh, but it also means I'm not flying during that part, which is kind of a down downer a little bit, but at the same time, being able to you know show this 12-year-old kid, like, oh, this is what it's like to be a pilot and how you can do it too. And here you are, 12 years old, and it's actually not that hard to get started so
0: that is so funny my um my cfi the last cfi i worked with um he he always used to say like because i would always give him the controls because there were times when it was just so incredibly beautiful i had to look out the window savor the moment take a picture or two and i'd be like hey you want to fly um and he'd always be like heck yeah oh for (laughs) sure he's like you know. I never, as a CFI, something I never realized is I never really get to fly anymore. Um, You know, there are times when I have to take the controls or when different lessons, when I'm instructing or teaching something, but for the most part, I just don't get to fly. I was like... Hey buddy, say less. <laughs> I'm like, we can do this thing together. Um, so yeah, he used to like, we used to have so much fun together. We got really cool videos cause I would let him fly and he was definitely more confident and more skilled than me. So yeah, it worked out good. But so I I'm curious, um, what's the story behind elevated access? Like how did this mission come to fruition?
2: Yeah. Um, and so, uh, for the last few years, I've been trying to find a way to use my pilot's license to really serve, you know, a more social justice justice sort of sort of mission. Um, I'm gonna say that again. For the last few years, I've been trying to find a way to serve a social justice mission using my pilot's license. And there's a lot of volunteer pilot organizations out there, um, like Angel Flight and Lifeline Pilots, Pilots and Paws, and and they have really fabulous missions. And I really love the fact that they're able to do that. Uh, but it didn't quite speak to me on a social justice perspective of trying to address some of the more uh, deep-rooted societal problems that I saw uh, or see in our country. And it wasn't until I was going through an anti-racism workshop last year, really digging into, um, you know, even as a white person that you know doesn't use the n-word or use other racist terms, that doesn't mean I don't have a role in racism uh, and white supremacy in our country. And in that workshop, I read an article about how the anti-abortion movement was really Came from uh, white supremacy. It was really a uh, counter to when desegregation happened. Is the people that were trying to keep segregation alive were like, "Well, we need another wedge issue," so they decided to make it abortion. And uh, if you look at a lot of what people face that you know need to have more control over their family planning, a lot of it, a lot of people that don't have health insurance, they're maybe in a impoverished community. And the like there's a lot of racism that continues with that there and so that's somebody who really believes in people's ability to make their own plans about whether they want to be pregnant or not and we and i really think about this as people who are pregnant because there are certainly trans men that still have a uterus that can potentially get pregnant and so that at that point i was like okay i think this might be the mission uh, but really making sure that i did not just become sort of like the white knight kind of coming in with like, hey, I've got an airplane, you need a ride to get your abortion, come with me. Uh, I started out by volunteering with Midwest Access Coalition. And it's an organization of mostly women uh, and people of color that have been serving communities for years to help people, uh, get access to abortions through, through travel and and housing support. So they, they pay for gas money. They give people, get people car rentals, bus tickets, train tickets, hotel rooms. And so I started volunteering with them to help them on it things to, you know, really start to learn that space. And I told them like, Hey, I've got this idea about pilots helping people travel to access abortion. Uh, but I really want to, you know, serve first and, you know, kind of learn along the way. And, um, you know, when Texas was starting to put in their stuff with SB8 last summer, we started talking a little bit more about, you know, is there a way for pilots to help? They got pretty interested in it and um, and just kind of grew from there. Uh, so we really started going to more earnest. And by we at that point, uh, another pilot was referred to me through Air Care Alliance, uh, who's kind of the umbrella organization for all the volunteer pilot uh, organizations. They... Uh, uh, sent another pilot my way that was interested in starting a similar mission. And so we started you know, working out details of you know, how it would work, what the structure might look like. Uh, along the way, a lot of, the, a lot of states that were, you know, had really strong uh, abortion restrictions were also starting to pass a lot of anti-trans laws, and so we brought uh, gender-affirming care into our mission scope because if people are going to need to travel to actually access abortion care, they're going to probably also need it to travel to get gender-affirming care. Um, but the really wild, um, part of it is that, um, we incorporated officially in April, we made our website live the Friday night before the draft opinion leaked. And, uh, at that time we had myself, the other founder and a third pilot. We now have over 800 pilots interested in joining our network.
0: That is incredible. I just want to say we, I mean, We really, really appreciate what you're doing and your vision. And just anything where you're serving a population that is underserved has restricted access to things that are highly, highly critical. Um, I don't think there's been a day that's gone by in this house where this has not been a conversation that I've had with family, friends, coworkers, everyone. Um, So I just, I really thank you for like stepping up to the plate and really wanting to like take the bull by the horns and do something about
2: this. Well, thank you for that, and I will say it's taken me a long time to get to a spot and be able to just say thank you when somebody gives me that gratitude, mm-hmm. because certainly I'm not in this for me, um, and so I, you know I've kind of just had to keep start training myself and and uh, to respond with thank you. So thank you for that.
1: Yeah, I think, um, anytime you do something where you're serving other people and you're not like, um, making a profit off of it, it's definitely like a labor of love It's definitely what Emma and I do on this podcast I Spend a lot of time, like, you know, talking to people behind the scenes. And I, I just think it's, it's nice to know that there are people out there that do care and, and want these types of services to be there for people who need them, um, And I know you don't want to be like this white knight in shining armor, but it, it sure seems like, you know, this is such an underserved community that needs the help. And I never would have thought of this idea. Like when I found your website, I was like, wow, this is amazing because I feel like you're probably the only, um, person who's doing this. Like you said, it's usually like, uh, there's lots of people flying animals, which I think is amazing. I love that, but then helping humans is also important. So So again, thank you. Uh And um, what Emma was touching on like the network of pilots that you're building, and you said that there's about 800 different applicants. Like uh, one of the questions that you kind of had is if a GA pilot wanted to fly for you or for elevated access, what kind of flying are they going to be doing?
2: Sure. Um, So a lot of pilots that you know, haven't signed up with a volunteer pilot organization, don't know sort of kind of how they can get involved or what they can do and what the regulations are involved. So uh, since this is all volunteer uh, work, so the the pilots pay for all the expenses of the flight, that includes if there's airplane rental, fuel, ramp fees, um, you know, landing fees, all those kinds of things are paid for by the pilot. And the reason for that is that if we didn't have it that way, it wouldn't be a part 91 operation anymore, and it would become part 135, uh, which has a whole bunch more regulations and really would be impossible. There's no way you could build a part 135 organization that had 800 pilots. It just would be impossible. And so, you know, really, you know, by keeping things this way, we're able to, to have a lot more pilots and help a lot more people. When a pilot signs up, so we have different ways that pilots can get involved. And so the first way, of course, is to be the person that's you know, doing the flight. Um, and for that, we require that people be at least 21, have 200 hours of PIC time. They have to have insurance that covers a flight and that can be through their flying club or, or whatever it is there, or the rental agreement that they have that's covering with insurance. Uh, they also need to, of course, have their you know, most recent flight review done um, and be up to date and current on everything. And So if they meet all of those, they're able to be. The, the pic the pilot in command for a given flight but for pilots that don't meet those minimums you know don't have 200 hours or they we've had some that aren't 21 yet or even still working on their pilot, their private pilot license um, and they can also sign up with us to basically be kind of like a, a right seater with other pilots uh, as you can imagine, a lot of these flights are going into busier airspaces. And I know even for myself with 500 hours, if I'm flying to say we're to fly into Midway in Chicago, I'd love to have another pilot with me to help mm-hmm. with, you know, switching frequencies, looking for traffic, loading up approach plates if we're flying in an approach, you know, all those kinds of things. So that that way, you know, kind of splits the workload load a little bit. And so that's one way that, that pilots that don't meet those minimum hours or don't have an airplane that they can use readily. That's a way for them to still get involved uh, because certainly uh, we want to try to involve as many people as we can.
0: That's awesome because I know myself, like when I was working on my instrument rating, um, you know, there's a lot of talk and especially in the commercial um, time building, everything's about this time building phase. Um, and there are a lot of people out there that are willing to, you know, go half or spend the full dollar um, to do these flights. And there are a lot of people out there doing them alone or with other people and, you they, they can incorporate this into something where they can put hours into their logbook and also be doing something really, really good for somebody else. So I just, I think that's awesome. So I hope all of our listeners had their ears wide open <laughs> because this is an incredible way to get some hours in your logbook. And also, like I said, do something for the good of humanity. Um, yeah. but, and, and
2: actually, I'll even, if you don't mind, I'll even add to that too, is that, yeah? Um, you know, so we can't you know, pay for any expenses for the flights under you know, normal rules under part 91, but we have put in an exemption request that the FAA has approved for other similar organizations. Uh, that would allow us to do reimbursements for pilots uh, of fuel. Uh, it doesn't allow um, every pilot that flies for us to qualify for it. So for example, in the past, the FAA has required 500 hours instead of 200 hours minimums. You have to have uh, um, at least 50 hours in the last year and some other requirements that not every pilot has uh, but that would allow, you know, maybe somebody who's trying to build towards the airlines that wants to, um, you know, fly and maybe they'll still have to pay for like the, the dry rental rate of the airplane, but they could potentially get reimbursed for the fuel if they're flying with us. And so there might be one more way that that people that are trying to build hours uh, could, you know, fly for us, do some good for people, uh, and then also help them towards their career goals, too.
0: For Sure. Um, so my next question, I could, I could expand on that a lot. That's why I'm like, I have to just cut myself off. Um, like I said, there's just so much talk about, um, that time building, especially where I'm at right now, it's all a time building phase. And you'd be shocked when you actually start to like seek time building opportunities, um, how little there are out there in some areas. So this is just, I don't know. I I'm, I'm very stoked about everything that you're doing. But my next question, so in building this network where you're changing so many people's lives, does it ever, you know, weigh on pilots' mental fitness and affect them negatively? If so, how do you help pilots with the hard parts of doing this type of work?
2: Yeah, and that's definitely part of, you know, the the risk of this kind of work is that, you know, even as an example, we were trying to put a flight together this week, and just various pieces and constraints made it that the pilot had to, you know, pull out from the, from the mission, probably because of their own schedule and when the flight needed to happen. And I know they carried some guilt with that. And, you know, so, you know, trying to help people, you know, manage that, that is certainly part of our work. And so we've been, one of the, so I mentioned the kind of the weird coincidence of us making our website live the Friday night before the draft opinion leaked. One of the other weird coincidences that's happened is that uh, when we went viral on social media, thanks to Cheese Pilot on TikTok, um, some, uh, a couple, uh, Social workers from my local community actually reached out, like through our contact form. They had no idea that I'm local to them, uh, but we actually live in the same town. And even Wilders, they turned out to be friends of a mutual friend, uh, and they offered to help with whatever we might need. And I said, you know what, I'd really like to work on a couple of things for pilots. Uh, one is a training program to really help them be prepared to be that support person for that person who's flying, because you know if somebody's going through it mentally or emotionally. I really like a pilot to be more than just quietly empathetic. I'd like to, you know, have the pilots have as many tools as possible to, you know, help make sure that the person's comfortable and is, you know, if they decide to talk about why they're traveling, uh, that they can, they're going to be comfortable talking about it and and the pilot can be there for them. But the second part of the, of what we're working on with them is, you know, we want to keep an eye on our pilots because if somebody is, um, you know, a lot of. I shouldn't say a lot, at least some people that are traveling to get an abortion, for example, or people, especially they're traveling for gender affirming care, you know, they're going through probably a traumatic experience already, whether it be a domestic uh, violence kind of situation and they're, they don't want to bring a child into a violent household. Or, you know, if it's somebody who's going for gender affirming care, maybe they've got, you know, family that don't support them and are, you know, basically on the verge of kicking them out. And so that could be it's, it's pretty much impossible for a person to hear stories from somebody like that that is going through those kinds of things and not really feel it yourself. And so uh, we're trying to build into our program uh, a way to follow up with pilots to kind of help them manage their mental health. And, um, you know, we've even talked about maybe doing some group discussions. Uh, so that's not technically, you know, therapy from the from the aeromedical perspective. Uh, but we really want to, you know, be there and be supportive of our pilots so that they're not just, you know, doing the flight and then you know, everything just goes dark again until the next time they do a flight. Because if somebody does tell, you know, kind of traumatic story that, you know, as a passenger, you know, that could really sit with the pilot for weeks, even if it's, you know, really an awful story. And I want to make sure that we give the pilots as many resources as we can to, you know, uh, monitor their mental health and manage their mental health so that, that way, you know, they're not um, going to be drugged down and, and unable to do future flights.
0: Yeah, I can imagine it's hard in those situations because you're in, you know, such close quarters. It, it, I feel like some of the deepest conversations I've ever had have been, you know, on a long cross-country flight. I just, I can't imagine, you know, you, you can't help but be highly empathetic.
1: Yeah, I think these stories are, are like for anyone really. Like Emma and I deal with this as well, like with the people that we talk to and the stories that they share us, so they are traumatic and so they do weigh on us quite a bit. Um it Emma and I almost have to have like a, a debriefing session when we have these people that we talk to that have had traumatic experiences. Um but what I really love, Mike, is that you actually thought about that, like with your with elevated access, because I think a lot of times that part of work can be kind of just pushed to the side because you're so busy with with helping people so when we're talking about that in our pre-pod call i was like wow this is actually something that you really thought in depth about and i think it's super important that you're you're doing that part of it as well as part of the elevated access Um, And then the other part of our conversation that I thought was interesting and something that I didn't really think about until you had brought it up is kind of like the security aspect of what you guys are doing, Uh because there are people that don't um, want this to happen. You know, they, they very much believe that people have to have have a child or should not have gender affirming care. Um, And so they may kind of sabotage your business in some way, or that could come to a, a head. So like how do you screen pilots for this type of position? Cause I know it's all on their own time, but like, how do you have that heightened level of security?
2: Yeah. And so we do that in a few different ways. Um, So one is, you know, just like any other volunteer pilot organization, we collect uh, people's pilot credentials. So they have to send in a copy of their pilot's license, their medical, their, the last pages in their logbook. And so you know, doing some of that actually discourages you know, somebody from being a troll or, or otherwise, because they're not going to be anonymous. Uh, people that tend to try to do those things want to be anonymous. Um, but we do have other things kind of built in. So we ask for people to share their social media links if they have any, although a lot of people have kind of sworn off social media these days, understandably so. Um, and uh, we also ask for them to make some personal statements about how they, they feel about abortion and gender affirming care. Uh, but the, really, the bigger aspect of how we really make sure that somebody is on board with our mission is by uh, asking them for two references that we can talk to about their views on abortion and gender affirming care. And for some people, that can be kind of hard because, you know, if you don't have those conversations with people, it's going to be hard to identify, you know, who the people would should be to, for us to talk to. Um, and so we certainly get a number of pilots that submit like a partner or. You know, boyfriend, girlfriend, spouse, whatever, and that's fine. You know, we can have the kind of conversation that's that will reveal whether somebody's you know truly on board with our mission, or whether they're you know maybe more in a uh, you know yellow light kind of range, or whether they're you know somebody that we shouldn't have on our roster. Um, you know, and in fact, we had one pilot hadn't actually gotten to the point of submitting his application. He was kind of asking some questions, and you know, really was just you know showing an attitude that. You know, demonstrated to me that he would not have empathy for somebody he may be fully supportive of of uh, you know or at least verbally supportive of abortion and, and gender affirming care but the way he was writing so unempathetically un- showed me that I do not want him in the cockpit with anybody that's traveling for this and so it was really easy just to kind of take him off the list um but those interviews are really important because and this is actually very similar practice that's what that uh uh, is followed in the abortion access space, you know, again, going back to why I, I went to Midwest Access Coalition to really learn about abortion access is that, you know, learning how they vet people to make sure that they're alignment with their mission, how they, you know, screen everybody to make sure they're going to be safe and the like, uh, because really, you know, short of some sort of aircraft accident, you know, while somebody's traveling, I think maybe even the, the more frightening thing for me would be if, you know, somebody did manage to, you know, somehow infiltrate our network, uh, I don't think they'll be able to do it. But if somebody did manage to do it, and then instead of flying them to their appointment, flies them to somewhere else where it's like, you know, to try to trick them out of, you know, going to get an abortion or gender affirming care. And so I think our system's really built up to do that well. And, you know, our our vetting uh, volunteers, everybody knows that if there's a red flag we, we you know it only takes one red flag and it's like nope this person's not going on the list um and we certainly also flag some pilots with yellow flags where we that's why we do two reference calls uh just to see if the maybe that that first reference just didn't know the way to verbalize it well or maybe the person doesn't quite uh the pilot doesn't quite line up with our goals i thought i so, also mentioned oh
0: no thought, go for it
2: um so you mentioned security too and i thought i would maybe talk a little bit about how you know, in a lot of volunteer pilot organizations, uh, pilots do often know the purpose for somebody's travel, like, oh, this person's going to the Mayo Clinic for cancer treatment, or, you know, um, this person's, you know, has this rare disease, and they need, you know, to travel, you know, to get there. So, you know, really, for us, we don't want... We don't feel like we need to know the purpose for somebody's travel, um, you know. Really, because we're one, we're not doing direct intake. So when somebody wants to travel with us, they really go through like a Midwest Access Coalition, and so they're the ones that are going to know what that person's going to travel for. But two, it also by not asking what people are traveling for, it really gives the pilots a lot of you know their own plausible deniability. Um, you know, for traveling between states to take people to get care. And for right now, uh, today on the date of recording this podcast, no state has yet passed anything that would cross state lines, uh, but we're fully expecting for that stuff to come eventually. And so we're just, you know, watching the legal landscape and figure we'll figure out with our our partners in, the, in these spaces to figure out, can, can we continue missions or do we need to change how we do missions, et cetera. So just got to keep an eye on it.
0: I was, I was kind of curious if that is going to become like a real threat for you guys. Um, and I hate to say it that way, but everything with what is going on nowadays somehow feels like a threat. Um, mm-hmm. but is that something that you, it is that something that you're worried about?
2: Um, I'm not saying I'm worried about it so much because I am expecting it to come at some point, um, But like, you know, what's been happening, you know, since we aren't, we're based in Illinois, so we're in kind of a haven state, if you will. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, seeing what's going on with some of our partners in like the the trigger ban states uh, that, you know, had, you know, old laws in the books that went into effect if Roe versus Wade was overturned, you know, what a lot of those organizations did is they they had to basically shut down on their operations for like a week or two until they could really figure out what does the legal situation actually look like. And most of them have reopened operations. Uh, they maybe have changed how they're doing things, but they look the vast majority of them have reopened operations to to help people. Um, and so if that when that happens, you know, we'll figure it out. And maybe the the good thing about uh, this stuff is that a lot of the the laws that are being written are being rushed through, and so they're not really taking a lot of careful thought into how to do them. And so, you know, whether it be loopholes or whether it be uh, you know some other operational way that we can avoid being covered by the by the legalities, you know, we'll do that. But I've committed to all our pilots that I'm not never going to ask them to do something illegal. And if there's ever something that is gray uh, from a legal perspective, you will bring them into the loop to let them know what those risks are, so they can make that you know, just like they're evaluating the weather risk, they can evaluate the legal risk of a given flight.
0: I got you. Thank you. Um, so my next question is, how many pilots do you foresee elevated access hiring? Um, and what is the angle for this mission? I hope there isn't really like an end, you know? I hope the mission just keeps going on and on. Um, unfortunately, I, I wish, you know, <laughs> what would be the word for that you know i wish that this didn't have to be a mission but because it is i you know i hope that you're able to keep on doing this but yeah how many how many pilots do you think you guys will end up having at the end
2: yeah so you know it's really a hard thing to put a number on how many volunteer pilots we're going to need uh, as an example the illinois department of public health estimates there will be 20,000 people that come to illinois for an abortion in the next year even if even if you were to say that we will fly maybe, you know, a half of a percent or even a half of a half a percent, that is still a large amount of flights to do. And so we're really not putting a top end of how many pilots, you know, we need. We're just gonna to need to recruit as many pilots as we can. Uh, thankfully, you know, if we're able to get the the fuel reimbursement done, that will allow, you know, pilots like myself where I have more time than I do money. Um, I can do more flights. You know, if some of my costs are getting reimbursed. Um, that will, you know, hopefully expand our our capability there. But kind of my goal is that across our pilot roster of of vetted pilots, that the average will be two flights a month, um, and those can vary a lot in length. Uh, we've had requests to go as far as um, I think it was San Antonio, Texas, to Charlottesville, Virginia. Um, and that's on the longer side and with the probably the shortest we've had would be about an hour long flight um and so you know with with that kind of variability there's actually a lot of opportunity for pilots that maybe don't have a lot of money to help uh but could do certainly do a an hour fly out have some lunch or whatever wait for the person then fly them back home
1: that's awesome so i know you said you had about like 800 applicants but That's not as many pilot, you haven't hired, like, and when I say hired, just like for volunteer work, obviously, but are all of them applying for you? Or is that just as many applicants that you've had?
2: Yeah. So the way our process works is they first fill out their form to say they're interested because as you can imagine, gathering all the paperwork for your pilot credentials and writing your statements can take a little bit of time. So we just ask first for them to express interest and then we send them the, the full application form. And, and so of pilot applications we've got 194 applications and we've uh fully vetted through 79 of those and so we've actually uh with the amount we actually on the day that the decision came out we added i want to say 200 pilots just that day uh to our to our interest list and you know when you do have that kind of growth it's like okay how are we going to manage this because uh if you can think about each pilot has two references, and we schedule them for 20 minutes apiece. Uh, you can quickly do the math that this is hundreds of hours of work. Yeah. Uh, so we've been expanding our vetting volunteer team. Um, and and speaking of, if pilots want to get involved, there's certainly other ways that aren't flying that people can get involved to help out. And you know, doing the vetting phone calls has been one of the main ways. And so you know, essentially, I'm throttling the the reference scheduling so that way the vetting team doesn't get too overwhelmed with say 200 calls in a week or something like that. And so just trying to work our way through the list um, because we're also trying to be very intentional with how we expand. Uh, Like I said earlier, we don't do direct intake with people, we work through referral. And, And so as we get pilots in a given area, I'm reaching out to the organizations that operate in those areas to say, hey, we've got pilots now in your area. I think we can start taking flight requests. Let's get you onboarded with how the process actually works and and the different things you have to consider.
1: There's so many moving parts. It seems like with what you're doing, it it can be a lot to juggle, I'm sure. Um, But one of the exciting things that I saw is that you guys had flown your first passenger either last month or the month before. So how did you help them, and uh, what was that experience like?
2: Yeah, so our, our first flight was about as ideal for a first flight as you can get to kind of show the, the benefit of this, this work. Uh, so the passenger in this case um, had um, an appointment that was a five-hour drive from where they lived. And then so five-hour drive there five hour drive back uh, with the schedule of the appointment it probably would have meant they had would have to get a hotel room we often get asked like hey why aren't you using airlines um and certainly in some cases airlines are an option and we we will you know fund airline tickets for people if that makes sense uh but also like in this person's case they would have had to fly basically to dallas and then fly back to a city that was you know much closer um, to get to their appointment, it would still would have been with layovers and transfers and everything. Probably still would have been, a, you know, six to seven hour trip, you know, in one day. So it's, you know, it's weird to think that airline travel takes longer than driving, but that's how it would have worked out, and it would have cost nine hundred dollars round trip. But what we were able to do is we had a pilot that uh, was in a nearby city and worked things out that they could fly over from from their city, pick the person up, and fly them to their appointment wait while they, you know, had their procedure and then fly them back home. And that person was able to uh, leave their home at about 8 a.m., drive the 10 minutes to the airport, you know, go uh, go on the flight and get back home by six o'clock the same night. And so, and if you can imagine somebody who you know, most people that get an abortion, uh, already have a family already have kids. And so that's less child care to deal with instead of like a two day trip. Um, they didn't have to miss work, uh, to a whole bunch of work to be able to do that. It's about as convenient as you can get if it's not in your own city to be able to, you know, 8 AM to 6 PM to get that taken care of. And so, you know, that person, um, was referred to us by Midwest access coalition. And they said it was one of the most, uh, Thankful uh, clients they had had in a while, and it was their first time flying on an airplane. Uh, you know, for a lot of people, you know, a lot of people have never flown on a on a GA airplane at all. Uh, but you know, this person definitely hadn't, and and so you know, we got, talked earlier a little bit about you know supporting that passenger you know, if somebody is not in the mood to talk about why they're traveling, which is, you know, we certainly aren't broaching that, that subject with them. Uh, there are plenty of other things to be distracted by while flying in an airplane, like explaining what the autopilot does, or, you know, what the clouds are, or the weather we have to deal with, or, or just, you know, sitting quietly and, and enjoying the ride. And so, you know, it was about as perfect uh, demonstration of what this work can do by ne- being able to provide somebody with uh, free travel and really convenient travel so that they can just go and get their health care.
1: I think it's also kind of interesting too because you could also inspire some of these passengers like to get into the field of aviation. You know, you said that they've never flown in GA and a lot of people are very scared of small planes, but it can also be like an opportunity to share your love of aviation.
2: Yeah, we've actually in the, in the, when people reached out to us, um, we've actually had a number of people that like, I never would have thought i'd want to get my pilot's license but now i do because i want to fly with elevated access it's like all right well here let's get you started and so you know i've been pointing them to you know like uh scholarship resources fl- and flight schools and offering to give them whatever advice i can give them on, on how to go about getting their pilot's license because you know certainly uh that's actually makes me want to think too about how our pilot roster um, maybe one of the most diverse pilot rosters of any organization. Um, I mean, you both are know this that you know women pilots are only about nine percent of the pilot population. I think I haven't done the actual numbers, but I think we're probably close to like forty percent uh, are women. Wow, um, but, uh, we have pilots that you know came out in their applications as as transgender or non-binary. We have pilots of all different. Uh, racial backgrounds, ethnic backgrounds, um, religious backgrounds, I mean, we may have the most diverse pilot roster of of any organization. Um, I'm not going to claim that fully and, and put a flag in that, but at the very least, I think that this mission speaks to a broad population of pilots.
0: That's awesome. And I love that you're kind of bringing a little bit of light to like, how many doors general aviation can open up. A lot of people like don't really think of traveling um, via general like general aviation. I constantly have to explain to people, you know, sometimes it's way more convenient to hop in a 172 and go from point A to point B than either get in your car or buy a ticket through an airline. Um, and I also love that you're just, you're using this as a way to open a door to something that is, like I've said, extremely critical. So thank you again. Uh-huh. But one of our last questions for you well, not the last, but second <laughs> to last ish. Um, if a pilot wanted to fly for elevated access but didn't have a plane to do it, um, you know, I know you had mentioned that there are other ways that pilots can help. So can you explain that a little bit for people who might be interested?
2: Yeah, and so uh, we don't have requirement that pilots own their aircraft. And that's one of the most common questions we get from pilots, they can rent, they can be in a flying club. Uh, They have a a friend that's letting them, you know, borrow their plane, you know, they still have to pay the expenses of the flight, but, you know, they can certainly borrow somebody else's plane if that's an option for them. Uh, But for pilots that don't have their own plane, it's just like the pilots that don't have enough hours yet, they can sign up and we can put them right seat to fly with another pilot that wants to have somebody there to help them out with traffic and, and radios and everything. Uh, and then also for pilots that don't have an aircraft or, you know, there's been a few pilots that wanted to help but aren't current, don't have their medical or for whatever reason, uh, they could can sign up too to be a volunteer in other ways, uh, especially in our vetting uh, group because, like I said, with, you know, hundreds of, of applications and uh you know, 40 minutes of, of phone calls to do for each pilot, uh, that adds up, you know, to a lot of hours. And so the more more people we have to do vetting, uh, the better. And so, you know, that's I've certainly added some pilots that have said, hey, I want to fly, but also how else can I help? Uh, or maybe they didn't have an airplane or whatever. I said, well, if you can't do that, I think you can help with this because you at least will know how to have the, the pilot conversations. And so they're helping out in those ways, too.
1: Um one of the other questions I had, because you had spoke on, you know, not having the, the biggest part of it is like getting the plane and the fuel costs, but you may get reimbursed, but do you have like a, a fund that that's like a, something that we can support, like where we can send you money? Um, I think our audience might be, you know, interested in supporting this cause, um, through, through money since you guys don't really make anything off of
2: it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We, so we are a 501c3 uh, organization. So okay. donations to us are tax deductible and people can donate to us by going to elevatedaccess.org slash donate. Uh, there's a donation form there. There's also links off to other donation uh, platforms like PayPal or ActBlue. Uh, there's also people that have just mailed us checks, you know, whatever the case may be, that people are certainly welcome to to donate that and we're actually uh, because we've uh, been so successful um, in in fundraising and originally me and the other founder had planned to self fund, uh, but when people asked to have to donate uh, we're like well I guess we can do that we'll take donations and um, that it actually is gonna position us. And actually that's even why we're exploring the, uh, the fuel reimbursement avenues because of how much money we're raising. And so if people wanna donate and support this mission, just elevateaccessorg slash donate, uh, they can do that. Uh, actually just this week, finally got all the hoops jumped through on Facebook and Instagram. You can now do fundraisers through there if you wanna do a fundraiser for us, just like with other charities. And so there's there's lots of different ways in which people can get involved financially if they wanna help us out.
0: That is so good to know because my birthday is coming up and every single year, I am not a Facebook person, but every single year, you know, everyone comes out of the woodwork to tell you happy birthday and Facebook gives you the option to like make a post and you can choose a nonprofit that people can donate to, um, for your birthday. Like if that's what you want instead of a happy birthday or a gift. Um, and I always do that every single year. So thank you for mentioning that.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'll look forward to seeing how your fundraiser does. Thank you for doing that.
0: (laughs) Probably. I don't know, you know, and maybe we'll get a few good people in there. Hopefully the family will come out and support, but, um, Facebook tends to be a little bit of a fickle place. Uh, yeah, I think last year I posted something about like wounded warriors. It's like for veterans, no Mm -hmm. one donated. I was like, dang okay um and i'm from the south so you know it's i feel like i'm you know generalizing but it typically i felt like that was going to be more accepted by some of my audience no i was like wow okay um good to know but also (laughs) on this is this is kind of a random question, but is there, do you guys plan on doing merch or anything like that? I know people love to support causes like this and really like, you know, get the message out there. People, I've just noticed that recently I've seen a lot of people wearing like, you know, different shirts, hats, things like that. Do you guys have merch where people can buy something and it be donated?
2: Yeah, um, so we do have uh, merch available through Redbubble, and you can find the link uh, in the footer on our website, as well as I think it was on the donate page. And it's all logo gear right now, and and so you can get your your hat, your t-shirt, your pins, your stickers. Um, I think there might even be like a sweater for your dog or something like that, if you want to oh, cool. decorate your dog in okay. uh, elevated access. Um, but we are also um, one of our one of the many people that have stepped up to volunteer. Is somebody that's working on some additional uh, variations on our logo um, that uh, we're hoping that we'll get into the store uh, soon. And we don't make a lot of money from Redbubble. I think on a twenty dollar t-shirt, we make about a dollar fifty. So you know, we're not making a lot of money through that avenue. But like you said, it's a great way for people to get out there and promote, uh, elevated access. I know we had some people that said, Hey, when they, we didn't have merch on our uh, website yet. They said, Hey, I want to wear a t-shirt at Oshkosh. Can you, uh, are you going to do merch? And like, that's a good idea. Let's get merch up. And I'm looking forward to seeing those t-shirts and, and hats and stuff around Oshkosh next week.
0: Yeah, I was just about to say like it's it's a great way to get the conversation flowing. I like I said, I live in Charleston and this is a very like talkative. People are constantly going out and it tends to be like a really friendly place. And I've noticed people will start conversations based off of what you're wearing. I've done it myself so Mm -hmm. many times, just been curious about a shirt or a hat, um, whatever it may be. So I always like to wear things that, you know, say something about myself. So this is a great way to do so. And I just, I want to spread your message. And again, I'm I'm stoked that we were able to bring you on the show because this has been something I have mentioned a couple of times on the podcast since everything has happened. And I've really just been looking for a way, you know, to bring light onto this situation, to talk about this, um, but also somehow incorporate it into aviation, which is exactly what you've done. Um, mm-hmm. So, bravo.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, it's, it. Um, you know, elevated access had been, uh, the concept had been something that, like, you know, I was planning to, you know, start slowly and maybe, you know, another 10 years would be a retirement or 15 years be a retirement type thing. Uh, but clearly, one, the need is much greater than, than you know, we initially even envisioned that the need might be. But two, probably even more importantly, is that the amount of support that people have come to us with, you know, the, the pilots that have volunteered, other people wanting to volunteer in other ways, the donations, it is has grown way faster than we ever could have possibly imagined and that's because like you're saying people want to find a way to help and this is a kind of this is a way to help that didn't exist before um and so we're just you know just completely humbled by the amount of support that people have sent our way and we're working hard to, to put it to good use yeah
0: so final question before the fun ones um where can we find you on social media and go ahead and repeat that website so plugs plugs plugs
2: <laughs> yeah definitely uh so we're uh, our website is elevatedaccess.org, uh, and you can find all of our social media our donation forms information about becoming a, a volunteer pilot all that information is there um and then um are on TikTok and on Facebook we are elevated access all spelled out um on Instagram and on Twitter we're elevated axs uh as our as our tags there and but you can find all those in the footer on our website if you can't remember what those are
0: and we'll also all of that will be linked in the description for this week's episode so if you didn't catch that it will all be down below. Um, we'll have everything linked for you guys. So without further ado, it's time to get into our fun questions.
1: Oh, yeah. Um, so just to know you better, you know, just some random fun questions. So the first one for you, Mike, is if you had to watch one TV show for the rest of your life, what would it be?
2: My wife would say it was The Office because I think I've watched The Office all the way through probably a dozen times, at least until it came off of Netflix. Um, But I think I'm going to update that uh, with the new Kenobi series on Disney. That I don't know if you either of you are Star Wars fans, but it is the most beautiful, amazing Star Wars story in in years. I have been
0: hearing people rave about this, and it's it's done. It's final. I'm paying for Disney Plus.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Well, and you'll and you should definitely you'll have to get caught up on the Mandalorian as well. And and um, Boba Fett show was not quite as good, but um, but Kenobi, you know, rewatch the. You know the prequel trilogy and then watch kenobi and it's probably gonna wreck you a couple episodes but it'll be it's it's incredible it's just really incredible
0: You're i watched idea.
1: oh no go for it maddie oh i was just like you sound like my husband because literally he loves the office and yesterday when we were watching netflix he's like gosh i really want to get disney plus so i can watch the kenobi <laughs> he did have it he did watch the mandalorian all the way through which i watched with him but i'm not really a huge star wars fan but i it seems like aviators are like way into star wars it's like a theme that i'm finding
2: yeah it's um so i you know we haven't really talked about my anonymity and stuff but in one of the a different podcast I did about a, uh, for an abortion access uh, group. Uh, I actually wore a Boba Fett helmet for their promo photo because <laughs> I'm just that much of a of a Star Wars nerd.
0: <laughs> That's hilarious. I um I actually I grew up watching all the Star Wars films with my cousins. They're all boys a little bit older than me, but I was like the only girl for a while really wanted to fit in. So I would sit down and watch the star Wars movies and they scared the crap out of me. We were just talking about things that scared us. Um, I can't remember which one it is, but when the girl is like trying to kill, um, the, uh, pa- Padma or whatever, Padme. and yeah, Padme. And she like rips off her face and goes from being this really pretty lady to like a lizard, person. Oh my gosh, it I, it scared the crap out of me every single time, but I actually got way back into Star Wars because I watched the Mandalorian series, was absolutely obsessed. I got what you were saying about um, the other series because I'm like, it, it was just such a beautiful, I don't know, cinematically, like the music, everything was Really touching. That was one that made me cry. It's tearjerker. Um, but then after that, I just got way into. We watched, rewatched all the movies. Um, I don't know the lore by heart, but I definitely love some Star Wars.
2: Yeah, I think you know. There's definitely lots of Star Wars content out there, but I think you can watch the prequel trilogy and then watch Kenobi, and you'd be just fine. And yeah, it's um, yeah. I, I cried pretty hard. And My wife at one point is like, "Why are you laughing?" I'm like. I'm not <laughs> laughing. I'm sob crying.
0: <laughs> so what about you, Maddie? If you had to watch one TV show?
1: Well, I'm just keeping with like my nineties, um, childhood growing up and I loved friends. I would watch that with like my best friend after we played basketball, after basketball, I would just sit down, pop friends in. And I still, I'm really sad. They took it off Netflix. They always take the good series off Netflix, um, but I watched that all the way through for like a month straight. I was just like, and then you feel like they're your best friends again. Um, so I could just watch Friends for the rest of my days and be happy with it.
0: Mine has to be Portlandia, which I don't know mm. if either of yeah. y'all know what. Oh yeah, what? Yeah, I. That is my favorite show. I've watched that series. Probably like you said, with the office, I've watched that series 20 times over there. It, it makes me laugh so hard. I it's, I don't know why. I just, I love that show so much. It is peak comedy. Um, and it always reminds me of my family. It's one of those where like, I ended up finding it. And then me and my mom started watching it. And then my mom told my dad about it. And then it w- became like a whole family affair. So I absolutely love Portlandia. I could watch that over and over again. Put a bird on it. He put a bird on it. you got a dollar, you got a dollar, you got a dollar, bro, I, I could go on for days, I absolutely love that show, the, I don't know if you know about the, you know, the little like portions where they do the milks, like the different
2: milks. Mm hmm.
0: Oh my gosh! You can't tell me that's not so funny. Like
2: or the can the canning one where they yeah, can everything.
0: Yes, can everything. Oh my god. Okay. Anyways, favorite like show. Go
2: ever. on. Here, here, here's your deep. Here's your deep Portlandia hole. I don't know if you know but Carrie. I can't remember her last name. I think it's Goldstein. Bradshaw. Or, 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 no, no, no.
0: Is it Bradshaw or no. what, what? Carrie is her Bradshaw last is from
2: name? Sex in the City. Oh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but I think it's Carrie. Uh, Goldstein or something like that but anyway she has uh, a heavy metal band that she plays guitar in and um uh go find their stuff that's pretty good
0: I've listened to a couple of like her songs but I could never get like too deep into it um what's the of course like I can't remember his name but he's my screensaver um uh the guy that's in it the main character the other guy
2: Fred Armisen um uh,
0: yes his comedy is so good he just did a comedy special for netflix where he like plays a lot of live music if you haven't watched that totally watch it it was very very good
1: cool I just all right portlandia because like i have no idea what you guys are talking about <laughs> i'm
0: surprised you haven't watched it maddie because it's i mean it's like very like i don't know it's It's not popular on the East coast at all. Like I only got introduced to it because my, one of my good friends growing up was from Oregon and went to Portland a lot. She's from seaside, but, um, she got me onto it and, it was game over from there
2: well, if i remember correctly the first episode don't they start talking about seattle and then they then basically how portlandia is like or portland is like a weird version of seattle so the
0: true sure, of I'm sure the Maddie 90s is alive yeah. in portland, portland i would probably portland. love it <laughs> dude you have to bro it's so it good does. yeah but that's literally what he um what they're talking about because i think he comes back from vacation or something and yeah oh god so funny but all right. Next question. What do you typically splurge money on?
2: That's a really hard one. Um, I, you know, cause certainly flying, you could argue sometimes is a splurge, um, especially if like I, you know, go, go drive to fly the, the cub that my dad and I have, because it's a little bit drive away or, you know, even just flying out for a hundred dollar hamburger, which is more like, you know, $300. It feels like with fuel prices right now. Um, but I would, I think probably more realistically is uh, I've been collecting Star Wars, uh, not just Star Wars, but any pop media Funko Pops, you know, the little bobblehead things oh, that yeah. where it's a pilot. And so I've got a ton of Star Wars ones, but I have a few like Marvel that were the character as a pilot. Um, and so I basically collect if there's a character that was a pilot in a movie and they've got a Funko Pop, um, I try to collect those. Nice.
0: Do you have um, the Marvel? Do you have Mrs. Marvel or I can't even. I,
2: well, there's there's one. So when Captain Marvel came out, they had um, a one of her as Captain Marvel. And one of hers veers, but there's also a really hard one to find with her in her uh, kind of flight jacket, bomber jacket, mm-hmm. and that's the one I want because obviously that's that's a pilot look. You know, she's got the aviator glasses and everything, and so I need to find that one in particular, and I haven't gotten it yet
0: that's one of those movies like I there's an iconic photo of me that like I use for everything and it's me doing one of my solos but for a really long time um my flight bag was a Captain Marvel backpack like a kid's backpack um (laughs) I watched that movie and it was like in the middle of my private pilot training and I've said this before I was like (sighs) my my instructor kept telling me I was not plateauing I think just because it wasn't really a plateau it was just me being me but at a really bad point in my private pilot training was just like not feeling inspired went to the theater saw that movie and it changed me like I have the backpack I have the pen, I have the notebook like and I'm not a Marvel person but that is such a good movie
2: Uh it is
0: what about you Maddie what are you something you're gonna splurge on oh
1: you already know Emma says that I'm high maintenance so it's my nails. I always get them done.
0: <laughs> you get your nails and your hair did. I'm like, oh my God, I have to do my hair soon. And I'm like, man, I, I just wish I could have somebody do it for me. God.
2: Yeah. You know, my, 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 wife is, I think got me convinced that we should go get pedicures together because yes. you know, I'm, I'm effectively working two full-time jobs now between my day job and elevated access. And so that might be a really great way to relax from both things at the same time.
1: Oh yeah. Here at the nail place that I go to, there's all, all the husbands come in and I've actually tried to tell my husband to him, like, you should come in and get your, your feet done. It's like so relaxing. And like the, like, I didn't realize how many men actually like to get their, their nails done and their feet done, but Hey, more power to him Cause I like a well manicured man. <laughs> <laughs> what about you, Emma? What do you splurge money on?
0: Well, I don't splurge because I'm 22 <laughs> years old You're and, splurging. you know, living out on my own with my boyfriend so we do not splurge um but I will say like every single week um so I don't know if y'all have heard of crumble cookie yeah Um, yeah okay so they finally opened up one here in Mount Pleasant so every single week since they have opened I've gotten a four pack of crumble cookies and that's definitely something I've like been splurging on like I do not need these cookies but every week it's become like this little tradition of mine. I get paid on Friday and I go to crumble and I get me and my boyfriend a four pack and it lasts us all week. I put them in the refrigerator and they're so big. You can cut into them. They're like, it's like a cupcake almost. Um, but yeah, I've for sure been splurging on that. I'll always splurge on food. Like that's the one thing I will always splurge on and my animals, my pets, I, There's nothing that makes me feel more well rounded than walking out of Petco after I've spent like $250.
2: That's a a very, very narrow retail therapy. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. it's it's things, you know, I get a lot of gratification out of buying gifts for other people. Like for some reason, that's my favorite thing to do. But, you know, a lot of times, you know, there's that little downside of it where it's like, well, you know, the other person gets to enjoy it. Now I don't have anything, whatever. (laughs) That's just the child in me. But if you do it for your animals, you can still enjoy those things, even though they're not necessarily for you.
2: That's a good idea. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I find my loopholes. That sounded really, really bad, but I have to find <laughs> my loopholes because I, I also love buying myself things. Um, So, you know, I'm a little bit conflicted. <laughs> All right. So, Maddie, this question, I'm going to let you ask it because.
1: Hey, like, this girl, question, what? I was like, you know, you can tell a lot about someone from the toothbrush that they use. So, Mike. What kind of toothbrush do you have? Uh,
2: it's a, I think it's Philips Sonicare is the is the oh, official official one. Um, although I, you know, I will admit, you know, at Oshkosh, I will be using just a, a plain old, a manual. you know, yeah, a manual, <laughs> <fancy>. a <laughs> manual <acoustic? toothbrush.
0: laughs> yeah, an acoustic toothbrush, <laughs> not electric. <laughs> oh, oh my God! God. What about Emma, you, Maddie? Don't you
1: have? I feel like you have a Sonicare, don't you?
0: Mm-mm, no, I have an oh? off-brand one. It's like the Amazon oh. version of it, but it—that okay. thing is too powerful. Sometimes, like sometimes, mm. I gotta go back to the acoustic yeah. because I'm like, man, my teeth hurt. Like my gums hurt. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. But it's like one of those where it, like, it has like crazy settings on it, and then you just rechange the head. Um, so I just order them off of Amazon. But I actually haven't ever ordered them. I get them from my boyfriend's mom. So this system is really working out for me. <laughs> Same thing with soap recently. Everyone oh, yeah? keeps getting me soap. And we had this one woman conveniently right next to the crumble, there's a buff city. soap. she came into our, um, my work and just gave us literally 23 bars of soap. None of my coworkers wanted them. So I have soap for days.
1: That's like the best that I like to have the backup most. I love it. Exactly. Soap, candles, you know, any kind of, kind of lotions. I love that. Yep. Um, yep, Same. But the toothbrush that I have is called Quip. So it's like the discounted. I knew you were going to say Quip. Yeah. I I love Quip. Okay. So the reason I have it is because Mike, you may not know this, but I used to be a dental assistant. Sonopiers are kind of expensive and I wanted something that was like not super bulky when I was traveling all the time. Okay. And so I got a quip because it's so small, but it also is not manual and it's better to have an electric toothbrush, honestly, for your teeth. So my, for a long time, I had a manual toothbrush, even though I was an an assistant and I just finally was like, you know what? I like this quip. It's cool. They send you like the, the head in the mail, like, so you take it off every three months and, and a new battery and they also send you gloss and also toothpaste. So it's just easy um and my husband loves his quip too and we, we match i have a pink one he has a blue one
0: i feel like i should have already known this because i noticed when we went to um sun and fun y'all yeah. had your quips and matching
1: I, quips. yeah yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> and i think i brought like a rinkity dinkity um manual toothbrush that my mom speaking of toothbrushes i have to tell you all this um so for Halloween, my mom had this great idea of being the person that passes out toothbrushes. Like, you know how there's always the dentist in town that gives out toothbrushes? Mm -hmm. We also gave out candy, don't get us wrong. We're not those kind of people, we're not sick. Um, So we still gave out candy, but my mom decided to order like 120 toothbrushes off of Amazon and they're (laughs) from like Thailand. So they like have Thai currency on them and everything's in Thai. Um, and I just think it's hilarious. Cause I have, I, we ended up not even passing out 30 of them. So I have so many of these toothbrushes and whenever I travel, I bring them with me and it just cracks me up every single time, breaking it open and seeing all the different language on it. It, I mean, it mm-hmm. says that the toothbrush costs a thousand dollars, but <laughs> like I know it's not actually a thousand dollars. It's probably like <laughs> a few cents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Oh my goodness. All right. Well, that is it for this week's episode. Again, thank you so much, Mike, for joining us. Of course. Um,
2: Thanks for having me.
0: Yeah. I again, like really, really appreciate what you're doing and keep doing it. Um, it is so, so important.
2: Well, thank you. I really appreciate the support and, and looking forward to to hearing from all the listeners that want to sign up to be pilots, volunteer, donate, whatever the case may be. There's lots of different ways people can help.
0: All right, y'all. Well, like I said, that is it for this week's episode. As always, remember to keep that blue side up and the brown side down.